Hi and welcome to another edition of the Cultural Professionals Tea Break, a podcast for cultural professionals where you can sit back, relax and hear how your colleagues are dealing with the stresses, pressures and challenges of leadership. My name's Keith Jeffrey. I led cultural organisations and programmes for over 30 years and now I use that experience to help cultural professionals become more confident leaders and managers so they can achieve the impact they dream of. Because culture is a tough business and it's getting tougher. And there are so few opportunities where you can talk about and reflect on being a cultural professional, which is why I've created this podcast and associated Facebook group. Because I believe cultural professionals should be allowed to thrive and not just survive. The work you do is vital and it's important, but you need to look after yourself. And one way of building resilience is by sharing our experiences. In these podcasts, we'll be meeting a range of cultural professionals who hold leadership roles in different art forms and in different contexts, all at different stages of their career. I hope you can use our conversation to reflect on your situation. And if you wish to talk further, message me at LinkedIn or join the Facebook group. I don't want any cultural professional to think they're on their own. There is help out there if and when you need it. And if you want to be a guest on the podcast, get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Today I'm delighted to introduce Ben Spiller, Artistic Director of 1623 Theatre. So grab a cuppa, the biscuit of your choice, and put your feet up. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Uh, thanks, uh, Ben, for, for joining me today to talk about uh, what it is you do. So maybe you just do a quick introduction of, of who you are and what the organisation is. Well, my name is Ben Spiller. Um, and I'm the Artistic Director of 1623 Theatre Company, uh, which is all about social justice, uh, working with marginalised communities and taking inspiration from the world around us and Shakespeare. So how do you do that? What, what sort of things do you do? What sort of people do you work with? Well, we work with all, all kinds of um, community groups um, who are... Um, who have been traditionally excluded from uh, from uh, creative and artistic experiences. So um, we've we've worked with uh, members of the uh, LGBT plus community um, from global majority, from working class, uh, deaf, disabled uh, communities, uh, people who uh, have often and traditionally been on on the margins, on the sidelines and um, have had kind of projects made for them as opposed to with, uh, with and for. Um, so what we tend to do with, with projects at 1623 is sort of each, each project tends to have a kind of three stage process really where first stage is um, we do, we, we, we research and develop a project with a community group. So we find out what the current issues are what what what's making people's hearts sing what's making their blood boil what's 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 making them hopeful what's making them fearful um and we do that through creative exercises activities games depending upon the group and and we always use shakespeare as a kind of an unartistic safety framework really so um so that we use that if things get a little bit too much or a bit too close or a bit too difficult emotionally, um, we need we use Shakespeare as a kind of a safety net. Uh, so we kind of use that work. So, for example, if if someone's talking about a particular issue and we can talk about 
a scene or a character in a Shakespeare play where where that is is explored, um, sort of at a different time and place, um, and in a in a fictional world. So that kind of gives us that safety. Um, and then we sort of start to kind of mix things together a little bit. So there'll be influences in those conversations, in those games, those activities from Shakespeare, from the lived experiences of the participants in the group. Um, and by by the end of a, a process, that could be one workshop, it could be a series of workshops, depending upon the needs of that particular group. Um, we, we make some decisions together about what we're going to do um, with what we've discovered and how we're going to share that uh, with other people to widen the conversation even further so people can feel have that have that opportunity that platform to feel less alone and more connected with each other um and so that's kind of the first step really is kind of the research the development the uh, the conversations listening really carefully to what what people's fears and hopes are what's great what's not so great uh, and mixing up a bit of Shakespeare in there to give us that safety frame. And then so the second stage is we, we start to, to make something. So the artists who we work with, um, who have been part of that R and D process, research and development process will uh, come into a room or a space um, with some of the participants from the workshops um, and start to create something together. And we'll, we'll, find out in that second stage who's going to be performing who's going to be writing who's going to be devising who's going to be observing um who's going to be designing um any of the other sort of the creative aspects of making the show as well are made at that at that stage uh, and what we we when we create something and then we um if it, if it's then if it, if it then becomes a piece where uh, uh, professional artists are kind of taking the lead on it um, and speaking on behalf of, of uh, a community then we'll make sure that the community that we are indeed with are consulted as part of that making process um, but some projects um, it isn't artist-led it's sometimes it's it's community-led and you know sometimes we have these weird distinctions between artists and communities as if they're different things and they're not <laughs> um so yeah we're all we're all part of communities um so uh we just yeah so we 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 make something together uh, and share it as a kind of a preview or a work in progress or something that's not quite finished but rough around the edges and uh we listen to feedback from audiences and from the participants and how to uh, what people want more of what they need less of what's not clear um, are people enjoying it? Um, are people thinking about things? Um, and then the third, uh, the third stage is then sort of share, uh, refining the piece, and then sharing it a bit more widely. Um, so sharing that with audiences and and touring it to, to other places as well, um, to to widen the conversation about um the the themes, the issues that 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 piece has explored. So so why Shakespeare? Well, there's shed loads of social justice and injustice in Shakespeare. Uh, there's loads of it, um, and it's just a, a body. It's a body of work where you can go to, and you know that you're going to find something in there that relates to what you're exploring creatively. 
uh, and uh, human experiences that pe- that, and lived experiences. So they're, they're kind of there. There's a whole range of 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 life and and people and scenarios and justice injustice in those stories that can provide us with as i said earlier about the that kind of safety net that framework where if things are getting a little bit too close to the bone we can always go to the fictional world that shakespeare provides us with yeah so what's what's your story how did you how have you ended up doing this well, I mean, when I was when I was little, when I was a kid, I used to love stories. Um, my grandma from Lebanon used to read me stories. Well, she didn't read them actually because she found English really hard because her first language was Arabic. Um, and she found out she used to make up stories to go with pictures in the books, and I thought that's what he did. Yeah. So, um, I, I, when I was at, at infant school, as it was back then, uh, I used to do that. I used to. Kind of, I kind of knew what the words were on the page, but I thought you could make up the stories to go with the pictures. So uh, they called my my mum in to school. So we think Ben's um, the word that they used back then was remedial. All right, yeah. Um, because Ben's you know, struggling with reading and will need extra support. Um, and so then mum mum worried, and then she used to use a family allowance um, every couple of weeks to get me a ladybird book or um or would go to the library and pick a book um and and uh, yeah it was just open yeah despite my mum thought there was a problem with reading because the school did and um it just my mum encouraged me more to read more and grandma encouraged me to use my imagination and I was really really into stories um and imagination and um when I was when I was a child and then I went to um when I got to uh, what's it um junior school uh, then then became a primary school because it merged with the old infant school uh, there was this amazing teacher Mrs Heath and she uh, she said she called my mum in once and she said. Ben is university material. Oh, you need my. to make sure Ben goes there. <laughs> uh-huh. And mum was like, oh my word, you know, that's a change in a few years. Um, so I, I didn't know what that was because none of my family had been. Mm. So what go to where? Um my granddad was a, a porter at Derby College, art college before it became Derby University. So I knew that granddad worked at one. And he used to um, move books about on trolleys and things. I knew that that's, I knew it's had something to do with that. Uh, and uh, yeah, and there was an open day at Derby Union. I went to that and it was a science open day, actually. And I really enjoyed it, um, learning new stuff with, uh, with people who knew things, which was great. Um, and then, yeah, I got to secondary school and uh, there were three teachers, actually, who really got me on to Shakespeare. There was Mr Grundy in year seven, eight and nine. He, he was a bit old school. He was a bit sort of... Mm-hmm. So it was it was like, you know, we need to know grammar. We need yeah. to you know learn things in a certain way. Um, and he, he was really, really... He was a proper character and he loved Shakespeare. But he was very traditional. He didn't like modern dress. He didn't like... 
any of the uh, innovations or anything like that. He says, you know, which actually gave me something to rebel against because that was an aspect of it that I didn't kind of really enjoy was it had to be in a certain it had to be in a certain way apparently because there was some kind of Shakespeare police out there that told you you had to do that do it in a certain way and there was a rebel in me that a bit like the rebel of the, the child who told the pictures the to stories based on the pictures not the words that that kind of rebelling against the rule but there was that that kind of thing going on and um and there was Mrs Mrs Humphreys who was drama teacher and she gave me a speech from Richard III once to play with because she thought that she said, oh, I think you'll, you'll enjoy the challenge of this. So she really used to bring it to life, uh, practically, physically, um, and encouraged me and, and and many, many other people as well in my year and before and after. Uh, and then there was Miss, Miss Gaunt, who was a GCSE, my GCSE English teacher, uh, who uh, loved Shakespeare and she really, really passed that on to us and got us doing creative stuff in the classroom in English to bring it to life a bit more, not just through drama, but through visual art and photography and collages and all sorts of things, music. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, lots of other people influencing, I guess. Um, mm. Rebelling against that teacher who told me I was remedial um being intrigued by the teacher that said I should go to university inspired by the three teachers at big school um with Shakespeare and looking at it in three different ways uh the very traditional way a much more creative way and a theatrical way so, um, so when did you realize that this, that you wanted to do this for work for a living to to do everything day in day out with your life it was well at the time when I'd graduated from uni after after I got my MA in the end um I found out on that day of, on graduation day that I got my first um job after graduating I've done lots of other jobs as well because uh to pay my way um lots and lots of jobs in kitchens and portering and um night watch people you know all that kind of stuff uh guard dog uh, accompaniment all that kind of stuff um and then uh i got my f uh, first job after graduating was at the arts council uh which was east midlands arts back then uh in loughborough as a theater assistant and uh yeah i just really wanted to at the, t at the time it was you know I'd, I'd not long finished um, uni and I, I was president of the drama society there and I really enjoyed directing but I also really enjoyed doing um, creating opportunities for other people to be creative as well and that's the thing that really attracted me to East Midlands Arts at the time was um, making it possible for other people to be creative so that's something I really wanted to try out and I stayed there for a few years and through that change from the regional arts boards into the regional offices of the Arts Council and all the challenges and opportunities that that brought about. Um, and whilst I was doing all of that, um, I did a, I ran a workshop on one of my days off from the Arts Council uh, up at what was York, West Yorkshire Playhouse, now Leeds Playhouse. And that was on Hamlet, where Christopher Eccleston was playing Hamlet and Maxine Peake was playing um, Ophelia, Hamlet's uh, partner. And 
uh, it, it was amazing. And we co-ran workshops together and this great um, facilitator called John Mee, who's still still going strong up in the up in the uh, that part of the world. And uh, yeah, we ran workshops together with local schools and community groups. And uh, uh, after the last one, I think it was yeah, there were four or five of them. After the fifth one, uh, on the train coming home. Uh, looked in the window you know sometimes you catch a reflection in the train window and you, and you go what are you doing like I just because it was so exciting and it was so thrilling to make a difference to that young group of people to switch them onto something creative and exciting on that on that stage at West Yorkshire Playhouse and just see them like buzzing about and doing exciting stuff I was like, "Why are you doing? Why? Why are you sitting in in this office all day?" And at the time, I was also doing a part time PhD as well. I was like, "What are you doing that for? Um, what difference are you going to make to society by doing this PhD?" You know, I was asking all these questions to myself on this train journey. I think it was coming down off the adrenaline from from the workshops and the the goodbyes, you know, from everyone to the last one. So you need to be doing this. You need to be, you need to be like to get your right. You've got a passion for Shakespeare. You've got a passion for theatre. Uh, you've got a passion for creativity uh, for yourself and for other people. Do that. Like stop sitting at a desk, filling in spreadsheets, and stop um, doing research on your own and getting caught up in all sorts of tangles and knotting yourself up and overthinking everything and just like just do it like you know you've always enjoyed stories you've always enjoyed sharing stories you've always enjoyed other people's stories as well so do it so um it was it was it was really exciting to think that way and I thought well how am I actually going to do it like I haven't got any money how'd you set up a company when you ain't got any money and going to capital um, I had saved a little bit, but not much. I uh, thought, how, how are we going to do it? So I got in touch with um, uh, an old school friend, uh, Neil, Neil Harris, whose stage name is now Neil Craig. And he was in a similar situation. He was, um, he was, I thought, what was he doing? He was working at, this, at Derby City Council. Um, I think he was going to people's houses killing rats. <laughs> And he was doing that, and he'd all. It was it was really great at drama at school, and he was a really good actor, and he was very passionate and energetic, and a really clear storyteller. So a mutual friend put us in touch with each other, and we sat at what was Derby Playhouse's cafe for a few hours, uh, lots of tea, lots of biscuits, and we were just talking all the way, just sharing, you know unpacking our hearts and our minds of what's what what we need to be doing and we uh we came up with this that right, we're going to do a show we'll do we'll make a show and um we'll make it uh with a community group and we'll see what happens we're not too sure how to do it but we're going to give it a go and uh, we found out how other people did it um and we adapted things and uh, for the particular group we're working with, so we worked with um, three uh, 
three people, three other people who kind of volunteers, uh, volunteering, uh, and we uh, we created a show in response to a call out that was on a pin board in Derby Playhouse uh, backstage, and it was from Derby College, and it was from one of the ag- agricultural students who had designed a show garden uh, on behalf of the college, and they were having it exhibited at Gardner's World Live over at the NEC. And they based it on the Globe Theatre. So all the flowers and the shrubs and the herbs and everything in the garden were all referenced in Shakespeare's mm-hmm. plays. So they wanted, they were calling out for some actors to, to, to perform in it because they said that battle kind of been, the whole garden, the garden will be complete when there's performance going on in there as well. Um, so um, we responded to that and that was our first gig. Uh, was with working with Derby College and their student and uh, and some of the other co- uh, college students as well from that were doing theatre studies, um, and with some members of the community. So Neil and I we put that together with everybody, uh, and we went through the complete works of Shakespeare. We picked out scenes, we picked out moments that related to the garden, that related to things that the students were interested in, uh, and we put together a, a sixty minute piece that was performed three times a day uh, in the the Globe Theatre Garden. Um, And uh, that was, yeah, that that was our first gig. And so we got a show and we called it The Course of True Love and we took it out and about and we took it to lots of different non-traditional theatre spaces where people wouldn't expect theatre necessarily. So it's because it's amazing. It just just shows what you can do with a body of work and make it relevant to today's age and I, what, what, what I find really interesting about cultural professionals is that there's always been this point of inspiration which they want to share with the next generation if you like or 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 to pass on and it's that you you talk there about you you all you want to help people be creative to express their story to tell their story it's it's um, cultural professionals are quite a generous lot, aren't they? Well, I think, yeah, because I just think there's so much destruction in the world and there's so much negativity that you've got to flip it around and be creative. Build, don't knock it down, you know. And Because I, I always find that when people talk about culture, it's it's always seemed to be like, seemed to be um, described by others as an indulgence and yet everybody I speak to is wanting to make a difference for other people's lives to pass on the difference that culture's made to them to other people and to bring them into that um to, to give them that that life-changing experience yeah I think yeah indulgence is when you do lots of something for, for yourself and yeah. never for anyone else and that self-indulgence as well and um I suppose there's nothing wrong with treats I guess like going and seeing your favorite film or your favorite show every now and again but also there's it, it it's yeah it's about it's about being aware of your, of your position as a citizen as well as an artist and as a creative that those two things aren't mutually exclusive that they're they're all very 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 entwined and 
and the art does bring people together and make and it and it, it enables you or gives you that opportunity to feel less alone and less isolated and disconnected from other people, which is what we need more and more of now. Um, yeah. at, at the moment, more than ever, we we need to we need to feel like we're part of something bigger than us all individually. And you know whether that's um, a load of people in a room. Um, experiencing a play or whether it's a load of people in the mosh pit experiencing a gig whether it's uh people enjoy, uh, going to watch or, or perform you know or, or um their favorite sport or whatever those things are it's about people coming together and just feeling less isolated and also feeling like things that are wrong with the world can we have to change them and we can only do it together and uh, no one person can do it um, alone. Um, so it's, a, yeah, it's about, I think as artists and, and creatives and, le and leaders that we just have to really listen very carefully to what, what people are needing and what people um, are missing and provide it. Yeah, got you. So what, what's it like right now as a cultural professional? Is it harder than it used to be? Is it different? Um, pandemic's obviously been a massive issue for the sector to deal with. What, what's it like for, for you now? Um, it has been really challenging because we've had to change so much. Um, you know, obviously not just as creatives, but everybody's had to change the way they work the way they live. Um, boundaries have changed as well between, you know, workplace and home place and safe space. And it, it yeah, um, things have changed so much. But um, and there's a lot, a lot of emphasis at the moment on on identity and protected characteristics and people, um, people sharing uh sharing their experiences in safe spaces um and there has been i think what's one of the biggest challenges is uh the way that we are how do i put this um diplomatically the way that our leaders nationally have um been instrumental in uh, setting us up against each other uh, and encouraging that um, and the way that they divide and conquer um, and that we have to resist that. Um, you know, there's a temptation to go, oh, that, that's the way things are at the moment, so we'll go along with that because that's that's the way the culture is right now, that it is about the individual, that it is about iconography is all about um appearance and but actually uh, we we have to resist it um and we have to we have to we have to keep our doors open and we have to keep connected and keep listening and and keep asking and what do people need and is that harder to do now than it than it used to be I think it is mentally because we've had such it's like been hit on the head with a big piece of wood or something, you know, that 
Um, and and the recovery of that um, is taking time, I think, for us all. But I think the more we talk to each other, the more conversations we have, um, we need to remember how to have conversations and how to be creative together, I think. Um, uh, and support each other as much as we can. So what's the future looking like for uh, 1623? Well, Keith, we've put in a bid to the Arts Council to be an NPO. All right, um, have you? Yes, and that's the first time I've ever done it. Okay. Um, we've been going since 2005, and we feel that we're at a point now where we felt confident enough to, to do that because uh, we've got plans for the next three years. Brilliant. Um, so we've got, um, and, and whether, if we get the funding, great, we can go ahead and do and, and deliver on those projects over the next three years. If we don't, then we stick with the project funding and with the same partners and we still, and we go project by project as we have been. Yeah. So we're going to, you know, you've got to be determined in this game. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, you've got to bounce back. <laughs> um. And so, yeah, we've got projects lined up. We've got, um, we've got, uh, uh, well, at the moment, we're in the middle of a new research and development project um, with global majority LGBT plus community called Othello Remix, uh, which is uh, currently we're at a stage where we're reimagining Othello um, as a trans man in a post apocalyptic future. Okay. Uh, where the, um, the virus that has brought about the apocalypse is transphobia. Right, okay. And things have broken down okay. uh, because of that fear um, of people. And, uh, and, um, and that's kind of the brainchild, really, of, uh, of Sam Beckett Jr., who's one of our directors, who's, mm. um, uh, who's a, a non-binary person. Um, and is really exploring those those notions of identity in that piece as well, and that's going to be a four are going to be four actors in that we've decided okay. as, as a as in the R and D. So the yeah, so it's going to be four of those, um, and it's going to be very much about uh, class, uh, race, and gender, and it's about. Um, Iago in Shakespeare's Othello hates Othello and calls him every name under the sun mm. you can think of. Racist names, um, sexist names, all, awful things. Uh, and he's very jealous, very jealous person. Um, but Sam's asking the question, what if he actually loves Othello and doesn't know what to do about it? One thing I want to just ask before we finish is, what do you know now that you wish someone had told you when you started? Don't get, don't tie yourself up in knots trying to be perfect. Okay. Don't let, don't let perfectionism get in the way of the good. Uh, and is that something you've learned through experience? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's part. I think it's part of all of our psychology somewhere where we have these ideals of what things should be, and 
and we we can uh, set ourselves up to huge disappointment and failure and falling if we do that. It's okay to fail. It's okay to fall. And that's how you learn stuff. <clears throat> but I think the uh, the more pressure you put on yourself to be perfect, the more disappointed you're going to be. Okay. Well, Brooke, well, thank you very much for your time, Ben. I really enjoyed that conversation. And um, we look forward to seeing all this amazing work emerging over, over the, the coming months and years. Hey, thanks, Keith. Yeah, all the best. Keep it going. Yeah, thank you. I was very grateful to Ben for sharing their approach to culture. Theirs is a very different way of thinking, focused on social change, working with marginalised communities, and by drawing upon Shakespeare, which constantly reveals itself to be completely relevant even today. The whole world, the whole human condition really is in Shakespeare, and it's still worth exploring. Best way to contact Ben uh, to find out more about uh, about their work and the work of 1623 is through Twitter at mxbenspiller. If you'd like to join the Cultural Professionals Tea Break Facebook group, simply search on Facebook and join us for some friendly conversations with other cultural professionals. Or if you'd like to talk to me about this podcast, leadership support or coaching, message me through LinkedIn. Many thanks for listening. See you next time.